Hello, Avs fans out there. Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast. I am your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean. We're here to talk all things Avs hockey. Just two cool guys here to talk some hockey with you guys. For Thanks for joining us. Um, it's a slower day in the NHL. Only two games on the schedule, of course, because they're doing every other day is a great day for hockey. Every other day isn't so much, so not even going to lie. I was watching the Tampa Bay-Detroit Red Wing game tonight, and of course I fell asleep because that was a uh, a beatdown. A snoozer. Yeah. Calvin Pickard is playing goal for the Red Wings, if you're wondering. On a Wednesday at 3.30 Mountain Time, Calvin Pickard is a goaltender for the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, absolutely, and a snoozer it was, but hey, I hit the puck line on that one, so I'm not going to complain, but... There's lots to talk about, as literally the news just broke, what, five minutes ago, that the Avs game for tomorrow, Thursday, against the Minnesota Wild has been postponed due to Minnesota having way too many COVID cases, I guess. So uh, what's your initial take on this? I mean, it's still so fresh. Let's get a a fresh take out of Arif here. So I was reading, uh, and yes, it is pretty much fresh. It's currently 6.28 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. The postponement was announced literally 19 minutes ago. It's been kind of in the talks for the last hour and a half. Michael Russo, covers a while for The Athletic, tweeted it about an hour and a half ago saying that Marcus Foligno was the first one that had a case and they were hoping it was an isolated incident. Uh, that's no longer the case. Players like Joel, Joel Erickson Eck, Jared Spurgeon, guys that played last night against the Avalanche have tested positive today. That is a little bit concerning. That's a little bit worrisome because Tyson Jost was added to the COVID protocol list. I'm going to assume he tested positive uh, unless there was something contact tracing. But I mean, if he was contact traced back to the Minnesota Wild, then so was everybody else on that Avalanche team yesterday. So like the Wild who we're hoping it's a Marcus Foligno isolated incident, are we about to run into that kind of a situation with Tyson Jost and the Avalanche in the next couple days? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because, you know, after the game last night, good game by the Avalanche, you know, obviously shorthanded with all the injuries, but still managed to pull it out at home. But after the game, of course, we, we heard, okay, from the Avalanche, practice tomorrow at 12, right? And then all of a sudden, yeah. never mind, canceled. I think that was the first little red flag right there. Like, okay, I wonder if going that, on here. I want, yeah, I wonder if that has to do with it. it. It could be. It also could be that they don't usually practice after games, and maybe they just sent out the wrong email. But that's a that's a pretty good observation. I I didn't think of that when that happened last night. Yeah, well, um, I guess if Tyson Jost is in fact going to be absent, that's another. I guess stinger to the avalanche what what can they do without Tyson Jost? Are, what are the options after the guys they already have called up here? You just keep going down the line. You keep going in and, you know, playing more depth guys. A lot of teams have been dealing with things like this. Granted, not to the not to the amount of injuries the Avalanche have, because that's something that they personally like to do every year. It's their thing. But I mean, for Tyson Jost's case, uh, he started to play well. The last two games he's played pretty damn well. He played over 17 minutes on Tuesday. It was a it was a season high, not a career high, but a season high for him. And the game before that, when he was playing on that fourth line with Sherwood and O'Connor, that line was buzzing. I loved that line. I know you did. I tweeted you about it a few times. But without Tyson Jost, you just go down the list. Is it Martin Kaut? Is it Shane Bowers? Uh, I don't know. Miko Salamaki, the Vecchione kid that they, that they brought in. Somebody's going to have to fill in. TJ Tynan. Uh he might be out for three days. He might be out for five. It might be seven. It just depends on if it's a contact tracing issue, if it's an inconclusive test, it's a positive test. There's certain, there's different reasons why players go into the protocol. And, uh, you know, we may or may not get a confirmation of which one it is. Likely we won't, but expect him out, I'd say, for the next, well, I was going to say three games, but I'd say at least the next two, which brings us over to next Tuesday. Right. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if the Avalanche ultimately end up getting some more games canceled because of this um you know because you can't help but suspect that it's going to spread throughout the locker room and throughout the bench if one guy has it but it's just tough for Tyson Jost because like you said he was finally starting to show some glimmers something that we kind of spoke into his into existence again um and this was his time right this was a good time for him to step up and maybe carry a little more weight and now that might fall through if the avalanche do continue because They've got a, a series this weekend with St. Louis that we'll get into a little deeper later th- in the podcast. But, you know, overall, he's been one of the few bright spots, too. I mean, the, the Avalanche, while needing some guys to step up, it feels like uh, uh, some guys on the team are doing the opposite right now. Uh, 
I, I, I don't know. I, I was, I was hoping to go a whole other way with that. The last five games, the Avalanche are obviously in the last five games. They're four zero and one. The one loss was a bit of a stinger. It's also the game they lost McKinnon for the third period, and you kind of felt the team morale just like it went down the drain after that. I think they've been good, man. I think their depth has been good. I think everybody's been engaged. Sherwood and O'Connor came in, and they're putting up points. Donskoy quietly has five goals. Brandon Saad suddenly quietly has five goals. That second line uh, of Kadri and Burakovsky and Saad has been buzzing. Rantanen and Landeskog are still chugging along. Uh, Nichushkin's got a couple goals now. JT Comfer's making his way to the score sheet a little bit. He doesn't have a lot of points, but he's playing well. And the fourth line's going, and your defense is going. I mean, I I think these last five Avalanche games, they're 4-0-1, and, and they could have been 5-0 and because of the fact that people that weren't pulling their weight earlier in the season, those first six games, have started to pull their weight, and now suddenly they are the force, they are this team with all this depth that we've been talking about where now you have no McKinnon and no Belmar and no Calvert from the forwards. You have no Johnson and Taves and you have no backup goalie and you're 4-0-1 in your last five games. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like they've been squeaking out wins and it's been pretty impressive the fact that they're, they're still so injured and still pulling out victories. But, I mean, you go all the way back to the overtime Anaheim win, and Jared Bednar, even after a victory, says, yeah, I don't really like the way we played. A couple games ago, Gabe Landeskog, you know, quietly called out some of his guys in the locker room saying he didn't like the way some of those guys played. Uh, you know, we saw Bednar not even put Nazem Kadri right into that Nathan McKinnon spot. It doesn't seem like he really trusts Nazem Kadri's game right now. I think so a little bit on that. So he didn't put Nazem Kadri into that spot specifically right away because he didn't want to break up the Kadri Saad Burakovsky line. Granted, as that game was going on on Tuesday, he did end up saying that he didn't like Kadri's game, so he didn't play him as much. But the game before that, Kadri was playing good. I mean, before this game, the Avalanche lost the overtime game to Minnesota, obviously. Again, they lost McKinnon. They were kind of, they were well on their way to hopefully squeaking out a victory that day on Sunday. Before that, on Saturday, they shut out the Wild. Before that, uh, I might be mixing up. No, they did. They shut out the Wild. Before that, they beat them 5-1. to one. Before that, they beat the San Jose Sharks 3 to nothing. Before that, they put up seven goals on the Sharks. So they've been, they've not necessarily been squeaking out games. I think your mind is a little bit... Uh, is a little bit stuck to, and, and understandably so, because it just did not look like an inspiring road trip. The first trip through California, those LA and Anaheim games were boring. They were lifeless. I know you, you and I were talking during this past few games and you said something about these games are boring. And I think it stems back to that California road trip. The Avalanche lost opening night. Yes, we know it was a terrible game. They came back two nights later. They scored eight goals. They won eight to nothing. That was great. Then they went on this road trip through California. They played four games, and it was probably the most boring hockey that I've seen the Avalanche play in quite some time, mixed with no fans, mixed with the lack of energy and all this weirdness going on with this season. It was a boring product. But I think ever since they got back and played those games against the Sharks leading into these three games against the Wild, they've been a lot better and... I just don't think we're noticing just how good they are and their stats to back that up defensively. Numbers that we've never seen the Avalanche put up defensively, and that's without Eric Johnson and Devon Taves. Well, and that's, you know, after I texted you and I was trying to pinpoint, you know, why am I so bored during these games? I kind of tried to start paying a little bit more attention to exactly what it was, and I think it's the structure of this team. And what really opened my eyes to it was Edmonton, Toronto, right? We got to see them four times uh, last week, and there was one game where we got to catch the first period right before the Avs game. So I was watching that first period. They were wearing their reverse retro jerseys, and my God, those Toronto Maple Leafs retro jerseys were unreal. But what hmm. you saw was just high-action offense. I mean, the the puck was whizzing around, you know, snapping from forward to forward and creating great high-danger offensive chances. And then I go and watch the Avalanche, and what I'm seeing is a a, a a structure that they're very committed to, which is get the puck deep, let's spit the puck back up to the blue line, and get slap shots and traffic in front of the net. I mean, that's their main structure. Every once in a while, you'll see a Nathan McKinnon, a Kale McCarr, dipsy-doo, and flip a his way to the net, but he usually does Those it by fine. himself, right? He'll go all the way from the blue line to the net or from the half wall all the way to the net if he's not 
passing it to the blue line and hoping for a, a, a slap shot from the point. So it just seems real, I, I, I guess, a, I don't want to call it basic because I don't, you know, I'm sure my hockey mind is nowhere near what Jared Bednar's is, so I don't want to insult his structure, but it just seems a little bit too uh, one-sided, I guess, or predictable, almost like we saw the power play last, last year in the playoffs. My friend, my friend. You have been completely ruined as a hockey fan over the last 15 years of Avalanche hockey. And you want to know why that is? This team is so damn good, and they make it look so easy. And they are literally over these last five games, for the most part, dominating 60 minutes of a game. And it looks boring because who the hell wants to watch a team get dominated for 60 minutes? But it's because they're so. Good. I don't think that's it though, because I don't see the offense. The offensive that. excitement just isn't there. It's like a productive but not exciting structure. You know what I mean? It's the the way that they have. There has been nine, ten, or eleven specific cases, literally that I could think of off the top of my head from the last four games, where the Avalanche will have this relentless shift in the offensive zone from that top line with Gerard and Makar at the points doing their thing, constantly moving, constantly going. The other team gets it, forecheck, take the puck back, continue to cycle, ends with a goal usually. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does, or they draw a penalty. And I look over at my roommate, I look at Mike, and I say, this team is amazing. Like, they are really good. They are dominating certain portions of the game. The difference between what's happening now and what you're seeing in the Toronto-Edmonton games and in the North Division in general, first of all, in the North Division, defense is optional. Uh, They don't really have that as a a necessity. Nobody wants to play defense. But the other thing is all of those teams are so close together in skill that you don't notice that it's, it's a bunch of... B minus B B plus maybe teams when in the West Division you have this A I don't want to say A plus that's a little bit too much but this A quality team playing a C minus quality team but for once we are the ones talking about the A quality team we are not the C minus team getting run out of the building by the Nashville Predators for all those years or the Minnesota Wild for all those years. I was looking at these, and these are the defensive numbers I'm talking about. No Devon Taves, no Eric Johnson. And again, those are two massive parts of your blue line. Philip Grubauer is currently 7-2. and two. He has a 167 goals against average. He has a 934 save percentage. Those numbers look all great and all right. Two shutouts, pretty great, right? Philip Grubauer is facing 24.5 shots per game. 24.5. Think about that for a moment. We've been talking about this avalanche team when the Semyon Varlamov days where Varley has the best record when you face 40 shots. And you're like, that's great, but can my team not give up 40 shots a night? And now we put Varley with the Islanders and they give up 20, 25 shots a game and the guy gets a shutout every other game. Well, what do you know? Philip Grubauer is doing the same thing with the avalanche who suddenly have this relentless defense because all these guys have taken a big step. And that's without Johnson, that's without Devon Taves, and that's with a bunch of rookies, a 19-year-old Connor Timmons who had concussion issues, some guy named McDonald that I keep calling Joey McDonald because he used to play for the Red Wings, was a goalie, apparently his name's Jacob, Greg Patteron who played a game, then they told him to take a hike on the taxi squad. They've just had all of these defensemen come in, but the structure of the team is we are going to not choke the life out of you in the Islanders type of game, but we're going to choke the life out of you because we're not going to give you the puck. We are going to keep the puck. And that's what I've been seeing from the Avalanche. And and they're doing it through all these injuries. They did it again yesterday, even without McKinnon, even with JT Comfer as your friggin' top-line centerman and and apparently your, your new glorified enforcer. Uh, we'll get into that later. But that's what I'm seeing from the Avalanche. And because the division is so boring, I guarantee you your mind will shift when we start seeing Avalanche versus Vegas, especially when they play four straight games. That's when you're gonna look at me and you're gonna say that Toronto Ed- that Toronto Edmonton game. They wish they had the skill that this Colorado Vegas game had. I, and I'm not gonna argue with that. I agree. The defensive side of the puck, I think, is what's what's different. It's what's making this structure possible. But when they have the puck, which is often, I'm not arguing that either. I just don't think they're doing what they're capable of with it because of their commitment to this structure. And, you know, just pay attention. Just watch. Maybe you've been watching a little bit too much Peter yeah. McNabb and Mark Moser. Maybe throw it on mute if you can. <laughs> I live with I live with a damn guy that doesn't <laughs> let me watch Avalanche feeds. we got to watch the other two feeds. So. But, yeah, so just, just, just pay attention to the offensive system and tell me if you think 
there's more to be desired there because I really think so. And I'm not complaining. Don't get me wrong. I love I love the wins and I love being second in the West right now despite Vegas not playing. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's just a lot more to be desired from an offensive standpoint from this team because of what I've seen them capable of. To me, this team should be whipping it around like it's a power play every time they're off in the offensive zone, not – but that's what they're doing. I don't. I don't that's see what, it. Those I don't shifts, see it. I see pucks going in the corner. About. I see. I see the puck getting spit up to the blue line, and then a slap shot that sometimes hits the net, sometimes hits somebody in the shin guards, sometimes gets a, a tip on it. That's that's what they love to do. And and, and trust me, y- you might start noticing it from this point on. But their offense has an extra level to it that they're not reaching. All right. So in terms of goals per game, the Avalanche are sitting currently at three point four five. The only team in their division with a higher goals per game number is the Blues at 3.5, but they've also given up 3.1 goals per game, which is a ton more than the Avalanche's 2.18. That was a lot of numbers. I'm really sorry about that. Goals per game, top 10 teams. The Avalanche, like I said, they're sitting in ninth, and there's three Canadian teams in there because Canadian teams are all playing each other. Like, think about this. The Edmonton Oilers have 42 goals in 12 games. They've given up 43 so that's how the games okay. in the in the in the Canadian division. It's back to the Gretzky days. It's eight to five. It's seven four every single night. The Avs have thirty eight goals for in eleven games. They've only given up twenty four. One of them was an empty netter. Their goals against per game is second in the NHL behind Carolina. So they are a number two defensive team. They're a top nine, let's say a top seven offensive team because a couple of those teams ahead of them have played five or six games. In terms of power play percentage, they are ninth in actual power play percentage, but they are first in actual power play goals. And the reason why they're first in power play goals is because they've drawn the most penalties by far because they have the puck. The other team cannot get the puck. They're taking bad penalties. They're taking those stick penalties. The Avalanche has scored 14 power play goals. Toronto has scored 13. Those are your top two in the league. In terms of power play opportunities, the Avs have had 52 in 11 games. Second place has had 47 in 13 games. So they've played less games, have had more power. Basically, what I'm trying to get at is for a team, and and, and I'm going to pick on you a little bit because why not? Well, all you did was spit a bunch of numbers <laughs> okay, but here's at me, what so really do. I didn't even listen. Yeah, no, I get that, but I, I'm hoping some of our listeners will listen. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick on you a little bit because the Avalanche have shut out teams twice. They're allowing 25 shots per game. They're... They're relentless with the puck. Nathan McKinnon is, is sitting at a 4.9% shooting percentage with two goals. Uh, that's not going to last forever. Um, but you're also talking about a team that has already had 8 nothing and 7-3 wins and a 5-1 win. And we are literally 11 games into the season. There's been two shutouts. There's been a 7-3 game. There's been an 8 nothing game. There's been a 5-1 game. Uh, and there's been games where... You know from the onset. We always talk about whenever we we make plays and we and and we like to throw a little bit of money on hockey. We we always say, especially if it's a puck line, a minus one and a half. It's like, man, you know those games where the team just gets out to an early lead and you know they're going to hold it. Kind of like the Tampa Bay Detroit game we were talking about today. Tampa Bay scored three goals in the first five minutes, and you knew that's it. You're going to hit puck line. Detroit's not going to come back. Tampa won five one. One of those low heart rate games where you don't have to worry about your team potentially giving it up. That's been 75% of the Avalanche season. And then obviously they had that stinker in California against LA. Then they had the stinker, the game that Hunter Miska played. Then they had the stinker where Nathan McKinnon was injured in the third period. And I understand that. And I'm not I'm not by any means uh, trying to overshadow those games or pretend they didn't happen. I'm just saying that over the last five games, the Avalanche have played a pretty damn good game. And if it wasn't for McKinnon missing the third period, I think they could have squeaked out a victory Sunday and had a five-game winning streak. I don't think anything that you just said for the last five minutes disproves what I said. I mean, yeah, they're doing a lot of, of great things and they're figuring out ways to win. And what they're doing is working. But I just still think there's another level to this offense that we're not seeing. And they're kind of held. They're crutched by this system that they try to w- run that is obsessed with shots from the point And like I said, every once in a while you do see someone rush to the net, but they do it alone. They don't. It's not a one-two pass, give and go. It's me seeing a lane and taking it, um, you know. And that's that's what I I don't like. And it's not that I'm bashing them. Like I said, they're making it work. I just think there's more to be seen. There's there's another level there. What's our favorite Canadian word? A boot. The other one. Boot. Pro- <laughs> 
process. It's a process. Oh. Jared oh, yeah. Jared Bender is getting his team ready for playoff hockey from now because if we were okay. if we were I like it. I will say this if yeah. if we were Edmonton Oilers or Toronto Maple Leaf fans and we were a podcast covering those teams, we'd be sitting here talking about Leon Draisaitl's eight point or six point game in an eight five game and 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 McDavid having twenty four points in twelve games, and then we're gonna sit back and we're gonna have to have that awkward conversation about this just isn't gonna cut it in the playoffs. We can't right, let in five goals. I, I'll and take win. it. I'll, so that's like what Bednar is doing. I will say, I I one hundred percent with agree with you on this point. If the Avalanche straight up implemented a New York Islanders type of game, or a Minnesota Wilds back Minnesota Wild game back in the days of not even a Backstrom, but back in the days of Manny Fernandez, if the Avalanche decided to go down that route. I would be sitting here right now and saying, yes, we're winning, but this team is boring. It's the New Jersey Devils of the of the Jason Arnett, Scott Stevens era and Marty Brodeur. They're not that. They're somewhere in between. They've finally figured out as a team, and this is the part where I, I can't emphasize it enough. They've finally figured out how to play defense. When the hell in the Matt Duchesne era, in the Nathan McKinnon era, in the Paul Stastny era, have we ever talked about a team that doesn't give up 25 shots per game? That is mind-boggling to me. And I don't care if you're playing the LA Kings and the Minnesota Wilds and the San Jose Sharks of the world. You're playing NHL teams and you're not giving up 45 shots. And, and you know, talking about Semyon Varlamov made 44 saves against the Chicago Blackhawks. They outshot the Avalanche 45-17 to and somehow the Avs won 2-1. to It's no longer that. And all I'm saying is that is the type of hockey you want to be playing in the playoff. That Dallas series was a little bit too uh, wonky for any coach's mind. And for any, I mean, it was fun, but for anybody, that's not the type of hockey you want to be playing in the playoffs. What the Avs are doing now is what you want. And they're getting it from all four lines. Like I said, again, we're 11 games in. Brandon Saad has five goals. This is a guy that had one assist in his first six games. We're talking about Giannis Donskoy being tied for the team leading goals with five. We're talking, well, second place with five. We're talking about Miko Rantanen has six. We're talking about uh, Devon Taves with a couple goals. Kel McCarr's got 12 points, and, and Gerard is right behind him. Sherwood's been in the lineup for three games and has two points. O'Connor's got two goals in three games. You're just talking about a team that is trusting the process. And they're all in a boot and and doing what they can to trust that process, the offense process. Um, no, I like I like that analysis, and it, I don't feel like we're completely disagreeing here. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of saying similar things just in a different way. But would you say that the Minnesota Wild are a good test or a, a much weaker team than Colorado? I would say they're a pretty decent test because this is this is the team that I know it sounds crazy, but it's the team that's likely going to come out of that division in fourth place. A team that if you're the Avalanche, you are hoping to win the division to play them in the first round. And let's face it, in the NHL, you have the parity is so strong that usually the way an NHL season works, and it's the same this year, we just won't get a full grasp of it because you don't get to play everybody. So, you know, comparing the Avalanche to the Oilers is kind of hard because you're not going to see them, nor are you guys going to play the same opponent to gauge, oh, well, this is how the Avs did against the, the, the Ducks, and this is how the Oilers did against the Ducks. The NHL's parity is so strong that you usually have four to five teams at the top of the list. So last year, we knew Tampa Bay was one of those. We knew Boston was one of those. We knew St. Louis and Colorado were one of those. And then Vegas was kind of wonky in and out of that. Uh, they did a lot better after they fired Gerard Gallant. They became a little bit more structured. Uh, damn, I can't believe that was only last year when they fired Gallant. Jeez. Uh, and then you have the teams on the bottom. So let's go to last year again. You had the Detroits and the Ottawas and kind of San Jose, we'll say. And then after that, you have this middle ground. You can play the Edmonton Oilers, you can play the Winnipeg Jets, the Calgary Flames, the Dallas Stars, the uh, Minnesota Wild, the Nashville Predators, all of, of that 2019-20 season. You can play any one of those teams and you're pretty much playing that middle chunk of the season, the middle chunk of the of the league where you could win, you could lose, you could shut them out 5 nothing, you can lose 4 to 1 and call it a bad night. There's so much parity in this league that, you know, Basically, you're not beating up on the Ottawa Senators like the Edmonton Oilers have the last few games. You're playing a team that's one of those middle-of-the-pack teams that on any given night can beat you like they did on Sunday, like they potentially could have tomorrow if the game wasn't rescheduled. So I think, yes, I think it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good 
it's a good battle. It's a good uh, comp- it's good competition because every team in this division, geez, I'm doing a terrible job of wording this. Every team in this division outside of Vegas and St. Louis is a middle of the pack team. San Jose starting to fall off and become one of those bottom teams. But in this division, you don't have any Detroits or Ottawa's or teams like that. You have teams that on any given night can beat you. So like we've said since the start, if you sweep any one team, 7 nothing, 8 nothing, you've done a damn good job because that just doesn't happen in the NHL. This isn't the Kansas City Chiefs versus the New York Jets. A simple yes would have sufficed, but I'm going to say— Yeah, I just cut five <laughs> minutes on a podcast. You know how it I'm is. I'm going to say no because before the Minnesota Wild Series, and I heard, all right, up next, four games against the Minnesota Wild. My first thought, okay, four wins. Because they're not up to par with the Avalanche. They just simply aren't. So looking back at the schedule, 11 games played, I think really they've only been tested by a team that is legitimate twice. And those are the first two opening games when we were like, we still don't even know what this team oh, is. Oh, no, abs- I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it's it's the only games they've had against St. Louis or Vegas. But you got you got to play the games that are handed to you. you got to play the games on the schedule. And of the 56 games this season they're only going to play 16 against those two teams. So you still have 40 games where you have to make sure you don't coast and blow a bunch of them. I just want to see that team that was crushing the Arizona Coyotes in round one of the playoffs and not so much struggling against the LA Kings, Anaheim Ducks, and uh, you know Minnesota. Yeah, Wild but the team, the team that was crushing the Arizona Coyotes in the playoffs also struggled against teams like LA in the regular season that same season. And the team that's struggling this year against LA also put up eight goals on the St. Louis Blues. This is the NHL, man. It's a game of bounces, a game of inches. It's a game of luck. And and there's a lot of parity. I got you. I got you. Um, let's look a bit into the injuries. We haven't really... I guess we, we can dive a little bit deeper into those than we have. Uh, of course, we've mentioned every single one of them, but starting with the m- biggest and most important, right? Nathan McKinnon week to week, but it's kind of funny that this COVID situation is coming <laughs> to, to light because that's exactly what happened the first time. Nathan McKinnon goes down, the Avs play a game, and then go on a break due to COVID. Well, we might be facing the same thing here. Yeah, I feel like McKinnon's got something going on uh, with uh, somebody in power to to do some sort of shady work because – yeah, like you, like you said, this is. I'm I'm trying not to make light of COVID and and sort of toe the line with the jokes, but not really go overboard because I don't want to be an, an asshole, basically. But sure, Nathan McKinnon, yes, he missed one game in March. He was expected to miss, you know, a few weeks. He missed one game in March, and then the shutdown happened, and now he's missed one game. He is week to week, and now the Avalanche have they haven't been shut down. The Wild have been shut down. The Avalanche are potentially on the brink because like I said, if we wake up tomorrow, well, not wake up tomorrow, but if we hear tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, that five, six more Avalanche players are suddenly on the COVID list, just like what happened to the Wild today. Well, you better believe Saturday and Sunday's games are not going to happen. You better believe Tuesday's likely going to get rescheduled too. And now suddenly the Avalanche would have been shut down and Nathan McKinnon is sitting at home healing rather than missing four games. He's only missed one. Right, and it's it's just a huge hole to fill, right? And I think they're capable of yeah. filling it, but you'd rather obviously not deal without your heart candidate. But with that, I think Miko Rantanen has a much bigger load to carry, right? I mean, with no Nathan McKinnon, it's kind of time for Miko Rantanen to really step up and fill that void. Something that I feel you know we couldn't expect from him last year if if we asked him to do the same thing but the Nathan McKinnon or the Miko Rantanen we're seeing so far this season seems more than capable to be able to at least keep him above 500 during Nathan McKinnon's absence yeah and he's he's taken that next step as a leader and I, and I'm not just saying this because he has an A on his jersey which by the way is totally awesome that the Avalanche are no longer giving the A's to the Belmars and the Cadres you know the veterans that, and the Calverts it's like hey let's give it to a veteran no their young guys are the guy now we're seeing it on defense with Sam Gerrard we'll get into that but with Miko Rantanen the way he's playing the way he's taking ownership of 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 his line of his team is of a player that's saying hey I'm not just here putting up points because I play with one of the best players in the NHL, Miko and Nathan McKinnon. I am one of the best players in the NHL, and my name's Miko Rantanen, and that's why I'm winning games because I can produce for myself. So it's it's that Evgeny Malkin, Sidney Crosby factor where Crosby and Malkin together are amazing. But if you look at Malkin's stats without Crosby in the lineup, he operates at like a hundred and thirty-five point pace over eighty-two games. And I promise you, he's played at least eighty-two games without Crosby because of his injury history. 
it's just that it's that factor of of hey, I'm not Sidney Cross. I'm not riding Crosby's coattails. And with Miko, it's the same thing with McKinnon. He's he's wants to show that he is in fact the player that we think he is. Uh, and now the NHL teams and and people around the NHL are starting to notice that that's who Miko is as well. Yeah, something he needs to tread carefully, right? Because the season he did do really well that's when they said oh well nathan mckinnon can't win the heart he is nathan he has miko rantanen playing next to him yeah and then the and then the season miko rantanen didn't score a point per game and your second highest scoring point getter was kale mccarr a rookie with 50 points uh nathan mckinnon still didn't win the heart trophy for some reason uh this year you know nathan mckinnon can put up another 70 points yeah he won't catch dry saddle mcdavid because he doesn't get to play ottawa nine times or ten times or whatever the hell it is in that crazy ass seven team division uh and then suddenly they're not going to give the heart trophy to nathan mckinnon because philip Grubauer is going to win it <laughs> um let's get right into what you just brought up that sammy g sam gerard getting the assistant captain on his sweater in nathan mckinnon's absence I, obviously something really amazing to see, especially because I was sitting here on this very microphone during last year's playoffs bashing Sam Gerrard's play. Something happened in the offseason. He really worked to, to worked on the strength again, which is something he always focuses on every offseason. But he came back a different, a different man. He came back just that a man, right? I mean, he's, he's yeah. more of a leader. He's got a bigger role. I heard him during a, preseason there having a, a vocal presence like when when does Sam Gerrard strike you as a loud guy and there he is screaming out on the ice so obviously a much better version of Sam Gerrard we're seeing in front of us and just he's definitely somebody who's picked up his game from last season to this one Sam Gerrard is 22 years old in his fourth NHL season and I think we often forget that that he was acquired a little over three years ago from the Ottawa Senators he was the age that Bowen Byram is now so he came into this team just such a young, raw talent. And I think we we sort of don't really think about how good he was as a 19-year-old because he was better at 19 than I'm seeing from Bowen Byram right now. Granted, Byram looks better by the game. When I look at what Sam Gerrard has done this season, I look at a player that, you know, you say last year you were bashing him in the playoffs. I'm going to say this offseason when we were recording in September and in August – or September and October, excuse me, I was talking about Sam Gerrard being that guy that's on a team-friendly $5 million contract where, hey, as Connor Timmons develops and as Bowen Byram develops and you got this new guy named Devon Taves and you may or may not keep Graves and you still have Eric Johnson, well, now you have this trade chip and Sam Gerrard, you're not trading Gerrard. You're absolutely not trading him. I firmly believe in the heart of hearts that if the Avalanche did not draft Kale McCarr, during that year, let's say they won the draft lottery and they took, let's say, Nico Heeshear and Kale McCarr was never an avalanche player. I firmly, truly believe that the talk around town this season would be how the avalanche finally have a number one defenseman and his name is Sam Gerrard because he's looked that good. Because in past seasons, especially last year, when the Avalanche used to have those shifts where they put Makar and Gerard on the ice together, it was always like, okay, this is great. Let's hope they win the faceoff because otherwise they're going to get beat because they don't play well together. It's like putting Tyson Berry and Kevin Shattenkirk, you know, they don't really play together, but putting two of those type of guys out together and you're like, this isn't going to work. But now when you put Sam Gerrard and Kale McCarr on a line together, it's it's a legit top-line pair in the NHL. It's it's Yossi and Ekholm. It's it's Subban and Ellis when they were together. It's Niedermeyer and Pronger. You know, none of them are huge, but it's it's that it's that no questions asked, two top defensemen being paired together type of pairing. But I also like the fact that they still have this guy named Devon Taves, who, by the way, in the long run, Gerard is going to be a better player than Taves. No questions asked. But they have this guy named Taves that's going to be playing with Makar when he's healthy, where suddenly Gerard's on your second pair, and you're still not talking about your 19-year-old rookie defenseman who's going to be a star. You're still not talking about your Eric Johnson veteran, uh, Ryan Graves, who's kind of been a little wonky, Connor Timmins, who's trying to develop into a top-four defenseman. This team is stacked, and this defense is a far different creature than it was a year ago because someone like Sam Gerrard took a big step from being just that 3-4-5 defenseman to if Kale McCarr wasn't here, you put Sam Gerrard's name on every single marketing and advertisement you can think of because he is going to be a number one defenseman in the NHL, and I truly believe that. 
Yeah, uh, unforeseen step, I would say. It almost felt like, oh, we know what Sam Gerrard's going to look like, and then he went and did that. and then like That's the thing. Like you're mentioning with Bo Byram, same thing. I mean, you you even said it last podcast. Oh, just wait. Bo Byram will eventually work his way up to Kale McCarr's pairing. Well, we're already seeing that right now. Of course, circumstances are kind of making Coach Bednar yeah. use that pairing, but he's perfectly comfortable doing so because of what Bo and Byram's proved so far. But like I can't I can't stress this enough that the Avalanche the only addition they had to the defense they subtracted Zadorov and they added Devon Taves who has missed the last handful of games. So everybody else on that blue line was a part of the team a season ago. Yeah, Bowen Byram was in the WHL, but he was part of the Avalanche system and they're still allowing when Philip Grubauer is in net 24.5 shots against on their goaltender. Not because they went out and acquired, you know, the offense, let's say, last year. The Avalanche's offense last year took a massive step because their second line went from Nieto, Calvert, and Soderberg to Burakovsky, Donskoy, and Kadri. Three new additions. And on the third line, they had this guy named Nichushkin, who was a new addition. They brought in Amesnikov, who was a new addition. And suddenly, Comfer had legit wingers. They traded Kerfoot. The Avalanche's defense are the same guys they had a year ago. But they've all taken big steps. And that's the part that's crazy to me. It's not like, oh, hey, Devon Taves came in and changed this defense. He did when he was healthy. But now Devon Taves is out. We've said this many times ever since the injury last year in the playoffs that when Eric Johnson is missing, it is noticeable. And Eric Johnson has been missing and it has not been noticeable. Because Sam Gerrard, who's 22, and Kel McCarr, who's 22, and Connor Timmons, who's 22, and Bowen Byram, who's 19, have all had exceptional seasons. Oh, and by the way, Ryan Graves is playing probably the worst hockey he's played with the Avalanche, and nobody's talking about it because they've just been so good everywhere else. Right. I mean, if it would have been last year, Ryan Graves was way more dependent on. Now it's like, all right, if you're struggling, we'll just throw somebody else. And yeah, I I love that assessment. I mean, the defense really stepped up and assumed a, a better role that we didn't really see coming. And I think that's the biggest reason to kind of feel some optimism even with all these injuries to the forward group is the defense has got it they're they're back there and they're they're holding strong and they're doing a great job even if the offense isn't being as electric as it could be <laughs> this is <laughs> did you ever did you ever listen to the merrick versus Wyshynski podcast back in the day oh of course yeah, so that was everybody's starting point we're we're having a little jerez versus dean over here because <laughs> trying to tear you up and you kind of agree with me and then you're like nope <laughs> um one thing i think they are uh, you know where, where they are starting to feel the injuries and kind of the the hole in the lineup is like you brought up we saw jt confer have to take the role of enforcer not exactly a guy you'd expect to see in that position but of course a guy you totally expect to stand up for his teammates what i didn't like is that run at McCarr. Not sure if you got to rewatch it or even noticed it um, when it first happened, but that was the catalyst that made Confer start that fight, and they, they just don't have anybody else who can answer the bell. Man, Orion Reeves would should be, sure be nice, but you know he's one in a million in the NHL. But you, you, I just wish there was somebody there better than JT Confer that can send a message like that because we talked about Greg Patteron possibly being that guy, but as you mentioned, they – took one look at him and said, nah, thanks, but no thanks. And, you know, yeah, exactly. I, I even saw him working with, uh, I think it was Nolan Pratt one night, or maybe it was the skills coach. It was him and Connor Timmons after practice, and they were working on this head fake, right? And just Patteron just couldn't do it. Like He wasn't faking anybody. Uh, Connor Timmons, obviously young, slick, knows how to do a sweet little head fake. Patteron, it was like just a slow motion, like, uh, don't go there, girlfriend. Neck move. I wish there was video. I I wish there was video for the podcast <laughs> because you've been doing this little bobblehead dance for the last twenty seconds that I see that our listeners don't get to see. But I, I I'm completely with you on that. I mean, Greg Patteron. Let's face it, the Avalanche wanted to dump Ian Cole's salary, and it was a good thing that they cleared up that one point two million because they're right up they're right up against the cap right now with all their injuries. Now they've put Taves on IR, so that helps. But they were right up against the cap, and they would have you know been even worse. If, if Ian Cole's extra $1.2 million was on the boards for a player that they don't even need. In regards to the enforcer thing and, and uh, JT Comfort being your guy, I mean, I've mentioned this before, and I know you don't want your top guys fighting, but you know what? In the old NHL, those are the guys who did fight. Uh, so when, when you're the avalanche, if you need somebody to step up, you have Nazem Kadri. You just got to make sure his screws don't go loose and he ends up getting suspended like he was in Toronto for a couple years. You have Gabe Landeskog. Granted, I will admit, and I've said this already before, Gabe Landeskog over the last few years, since he 
since his his career has shifted a little bit from more of that fighter fireball gets a lot of hits type of player to a more laid back and i think it was for good reason because his career would have been a seven or eight year career if he kept playing the way he was the first three years in his league so he doesn't fight as often but you can't force the issue this is the debate i have with mike all the time with my roommate is is he for for whatever reason he's jumped on this idea that kyle clifford is the guy you should have picked up and i look at kyle clifford and i say okay well the blues were getting rocked by the avalanche eight to nothing but it didn't start at eight to nothing it was one then two then three then four then five then six then seven then eight and throughout all of that, the frustrated St. Louis Blues didn't bring out Kyle Clifford and say, go run around and piss this team off because they're kicking our ass and embarrassing us. He played five minutes and 12 seconds that game. Because when push came to shove, they said, you sit on the bench because you're good for the, 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 the punches. But we don't need the punches right now. We need somebody to tell me how the hell to stop McKinnon and McCarr. Well, I mean, and, and you're not going to do that. So... Yeah, so that's that's kind of the thing. You have to toe the line. I you have to find that middle ground. You don't want to be this fully skilled team of of players that can't stand up for themselves, but you don't want to be a team of, you know, a bunch of you know, David Cochies and, and Patrick Bordelos who who are useless for everything but fighting. And I mean Cochi wasn't even good at it either. That was a terrible example. So you need to find that middle ground. I think the Avalanche are kind of there, but not quite because they have players like JT Comfort willing to drop the gloves. They have guys like Kadri and and uh, and McKinnon even who we've seen do it in the past and Eric Johnson willing to drop the gloves. Uh, you just wish you had somebody like a Tom Wilson or like one of the Kachuk brothers. They just they don't grow on trees in today's game anymore. Right. And it, for me, it's not somebody who's willing to drop the gloves. It's somebody who's willing to drop the gloves and do and be it well. Good at because it, sure. Yeah. Right, JT Comfort didn't accomplish anything. I mean, he went there, wrestled a little bit with his shirt, and got a 5-2, and two, and then the Minnesota <laughs> Wild scored on the ensuing power play. So he really sent zero messages there. Um, so, But I get what you're saying. last thing you want is to add a guy that does know how to rumble and tumble, and then he, you know, he, he's a, a detriment to the speed game that they're trying to play throughout the lineup. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to balance, but I think they can figure out how to fill that void too a little bit better. Um, I will say one thing. This is something that I never thought I would say, but I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board with it now. I don't believe your defense needs to be gigantic to win. And this is kind of goes into the conversation I just had about Gerard and that pairing with Makar and this new guy named Devontae's and Bowen Byram and Connor Timmons. I used to look at that and I used to say Makar, Gerard, Byram, and Taves is way too small of a top four. But now I look at that and I say they play the right type of game, that Nicholas Lidstrom light type of game where they're never going to get pushed around. They're never going to throw a big hit, but they're not going to get pushed around. They have the hockey IQ and the smarts to do what they have to do to clear the zone. So yes, you want to offset that with a forward or some forwards that are more physical. Uh, and that's something I never thought I would say, but I, I truly believe that. I truly believe it's fine to have those smaller defensemen if you have guys like Comfer and, and Kadri and whoever that are willing to play a more rugged game. Not necessarily from a dropping the glove standpoint, because that Comfer fight was not really much of a fight. Uh, but in terms of playing that physical style game. Well, let's revisit that conversation around playoff time and see if that's I, still... Yeah, I'm, I just want to see if this theory works. Yeah. I'm really, I, I'm with you on that. It's it's not proven, and I'm just curious to see where it goes. Uh, something else that we need to see where it goes, I guess, and we've beaten it into the ground a little bit, but that's the goaltending situation. We saw Miska a couple times, and it looks like we might be seeing Adam Werner. Who, who knows how they actually plan on uh, managing that, but... Um, what I've just been thinking about it, and with this crazy season, obviously we know the importance of the the backup goalie, which right now is your third-string goalie, but I, I feel like a team in the NHL this season is only going to be as good as its backup goalie because of how often they're going to have to lean on them. That is an excellent way to put it. I couldn't have put it better myself. I think that is uh, very much true because you're seeing teams around the league that don't have that two-goalie system are struggling. Uh this goes back to the Avalanche's defensive game. The reason why they can play Philip Grubauer this many games is because he's facing 24 shots a night. Let's face it. That That is a big deal. That is a massive help. Um, I'm still sad and I'm still heartbroken that my Jimmy Howard dream is not going to happen. I would have loved to see Jimmy freaking Howard playing on the Avalanche for, for selfish reasons. But 
in terms of Francis, so I know we talked last week about the potential of him having hip issues. Um, you ever heard the phrase swing and a miss? Yeah. Well, I swung and I missed. And I actually want to talk to you about this because I, I, I asked this question the day before you and Ryan Balding recorded your hockey show. So there's a little plug for you and, and your uh, radio show. But I asked Jared Bednar about it. And I said, hey, Nathan McKinnon recently said on a podcast that Pavel Francouz was dealing with hip issues in the playoffs. Is it safe to assume that that is what he is dealing with now? And he said no. Not only did he say no, he said straight up, no, it's a different injury. Wow. So it wasn't one of those answers where it's like, I'm going to beat around the bush and be like, who the hell do you think you are trying to be investigative? You think you're this big shot reporter? Oh my, no, it wasn't any of that. It was straight up. No, that's not what is happening here. So swing and a miss. Unless it's his uh, groin. I don't know. It could be. Not it too could far be away an, from it, the hip. Yeah, it's a lower body injury. We know that. He's week to week. We know that. Um, we don't know what the hell's wrong with him, and I'm, I'm really, really curious to find out. The fact that they haven't shut him down yet is is a good sign. They're still saying week to week. But when he comes, I mean, this isn't an Eric Johnson case where everybody's like, oh, my God, Johnson was hurt, and then he came back, and then he got hurt again. Johnson wasn't hurt. He had COVID. And then he came back, and then we saw what happened. He got rocked, as you called it, bruised ego. He got rocked by Jordan Greenway, and that knocked him out of the lineup. So I'm really curious to see with Pavel Francouz if he comes back and plays one, two, three games, and then suddenly he's out again, or if he's going to manage to be able to be reliable this season. At this point, to be honest with you, that that 55-45 to 45 split, that 60-40 split, it's just not going to happen with him. Because I think even when Francis comes back, the only difference is instead of playing Miska two out of every 11 games, you're going to play someone who's a little more reliable two out of 11 games. But you're still going to rely heavily on Grubauer and pray to the damn hockey gods that that man does not get hurt. Yeah, and I mean, if Francis does end up making it back into NHL games, every single second you're going to be just scared shitless if he's going to get yeah. hurt. We we have we have tons of experience with that. We had you know Simeon Varlamov for four years who who had groin and 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 pretty much every issue you could think of. But he but that's the thing he's he's gonna feel it too. Remember I remember Varley saying when he was coming back healthy and just saying how important it was for him to have confidence in his body, right? And how big of a difference that made in just the mental side of the game. And I think you'd see the same with Francouz with he doesn't feel fully feel conf, confident in some of the moves he has to make and some of the you know, weird little positions you put yourself in as a goaltender, you know, it's going to affect the mental side of the game because he's going to have that in the back of his head. And that's something you don't want. I, I think they just have to, have to, have to figure out another plan for the backup goalie this year or else they're toast. I absolutely agree. And I think we'd be crazy to think Joe Sackick isn't scouring the market right yeah. now. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, look, the reality is you're not going to, you're not going to acquire a Pavel Francouz level goalie right now. It's just not going to happen. But what you can bring in is somebody who, and again, I love Hunter Miska. He's a nice kid. He's just not an NHL caliber goalie. And I, I, I've made the Jimmy Howard joke, but someone like Jimmy Howard, someone like Michael Hutchinson, even Craig Anderson, at least you know those are bad NHL quality goalies. Hunter Miska is just not an NHL quality goalie at all. So there's the difference. Yeah, and you can tell in his body language. He's just so happy to be there, right? They step yeah. on the ice, and they're just skating their little laps around the circle. He's right there chatting up with Philip Grubauer. I don't know what he's saying, but he's talking to him. And then Philip Grubauer's done talking to him. He goes over to Adam Warner, and he's chatting it up with them. You know, instead of – you don't really see that too often. You see them being friendly and being fun, but you don't see them just zeroing in and yeah, let's just ha chat. Happy to be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, happy to be there. I mean, yeah, it's it's a weird case. Craig Anderson, by the way, to me, is a very, very fascinating uh, potential pickup because I know that he left here on bad terms uh, back in the days of the Shermanator and Eric Lacroix running the show. And uh, here we are 10 years later now. It was 2011 when that guy got traded for Brian Elliott. And uh, damn, even Elliott's still in the league. That's kind of crazy. But it was 10 years ago, and, and someone like Craig Anderson could give you just enough goaltending that you need on those off nights if he's willing to come back to Denver. But, I mean, at this point in his career, after everything he's been through, why the hell wouldn't you come back to Colorado if you have a team like this? Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, I mean, the only players left that he played with are Eric Johnson. This was six months before Gabe Landeskog even got drafted when he had that nine-point night. I remember, you, th you remember that? They let in nine goals against Calgary, and then... 
he got traded and then Peter Forsberg retired all in like yeah. <laughs> the snap like the snap of a forty eight hour period, man, this team has come a long way. And we're complaining about their excitement, please. <laughs> but like that's the thing. Someone like Craig Anderson would be a great pickup if he's willing to come here because suddenly Washington has his Vitek Vanacek backup goalie who is second in the NHL and wins and a lot of stats. And that's because Samsonov has been shelved with the COVID thing that the Capitals did a couple weeks ago. And he's a good goalie. And that doesn't even include the fact that Henrik Lundqvist was supposed to play for them this year. So there's one guy that if you're Joe Sackick, you say, hey, Washington, you randomly signed this dude to a PTO and gave him league minimum. Here's a fourth round draft pick. Let's take him off your hands. Uh, you want this AHLer? Take him too. Just give us your third string goalie because we need him. You don't need a third string goalie yet. And hey, if you do run into an injury, you still have Phoenix Copley. So here's a fifth round draft pick. You just won the lottery. Please give me this guy. The bar has been raised, Arif, and with that, so have my expectations. You know, I remember during the 48-point season, I was the guy being optimistic. Like, man, this team is not this bad. There's a much better team yeah. underneath these 48 points. But now that the bar's been raised, I'm perfectly fine being the pessimistic one because if you're expected to be a Stanley Cup champion and you're the hands-down favorite heading into a season, I expect you to look like it, and I, d I don't think yeah. I've seen it just yet. Oh, no, and yeah, I 100% I agree with you, and I was kind of just being a little tongue-in-cheek there because, because this is a team that when you and I were younger was a powerhouse, was a team that went out and acquired every big-name player at every single trade deadline, was a team that made it to the Western Conference Final six out of seven years and won all those divisional... Uh, banners and has all those divisional banners raised and, and all those sellouts. So yes, I'm I'm fully on board with that. I think we're just starting to scratch the surface of this team being a contender. Well, it looks like we're going to have the night off tomorrow. We thought we were going to look ahead and wrap up the Minnesota series here in, in this podcast, but I guess it's time to look ahead at the next series, and that's against the St. Louis Blues, as we mentioned. If it, ev if it even happens. If it even happens. Very good point. So I guess let's just go on the assumption that it does happen. We'll keep it brief just in case so we don't... Make our listen, listeners listen to 10 minutes on something that's not even going to happen. But, um, again, they, they're they the only test the Avalanche have faced so far. I think it's going to be a good litmus test to see how far the Avalanche have come since the beginning of the season versus now. Granted, it will suck, though, because McKinnon likely will not play in those games. True. But you know what? This team is good enough to beat the St. Louis Blues without Nathan McKinnon. Right. This It's time for them to kind of like we've said before, put up or shut up, right? Show them what you're made yeah. of and show them that you're not a one-man team. Yeah, step up, JT Comfort, because the guy on the other end wearing the C was traded for you were traded for him. And, uh, you know, I... And Brandon Saad, too. And Brandon Saad, yeah, because of the Zadorov factor. But, yeah, O'Reilly's the one that got away. Duchesne is not. O'Reilly is. O'Reilly's the one that got away. And, we, you know, we've talked about that immensely. And I heard you and Bolding talk about that being a terrible trade, which it was, in a sense. And uh, JT, this is your chance to step up. This is your chance to say, hey, we didn't need you here. I took your old jersey number 37 and I'm going to take your Stanley Cup. <laughs> Granted, O'Reilly doesn't give a shit. He has a cup and a con Smythe. So, yeah, I think the Avalanche can beat this team without McKinnon. Uh, I think they could do it two nights in a row. We'll see. I could be eating my words when you and I you know, record again early next week, assuming these games happen. I don't know for sure, but I think they can do it. And especially because you put eight goals on this team, they're going to be scared. I, they're not going to come out with a vengeance. They're going to be scared. I hear you. Um, I, I saw a commercial. I don't know if you've gotten the chance to see it on NHL Network. Brand new one. It was the first time I had seen it. I just saw it a little like an hour ago. Ryan O'Reilly and Pat Maroon for a car oh my God. car save commercial or something. Some <laughs> no, of the worst acting you've ever seen, mainly from Pat Maroon. It's like Ryan O'Reilly's pretty good. Pat Maroon just an awful actor, but that's Pat what Maroon makes it is, good. Yeah, Pat Maroon's just a goofball. Ryan O'Reilly's just a smooth and slick human. That dude's got a lot of swagger. That's a word I haven't used in ten years, but that dude's got a lot of swag. Yeah, no doubt. Um I, I like to think that Nazem Kadri is going to step up here, much like we said Miko Rantanen yeah. has to. I think Nazem Kadri, especially after Jared Bednar, and you know he's done it behind closed doors too, has probably said, hey, Naz, we need you to step up. You're, you're not playing the style and the level that we expect from you. Let's, let's pick it up, and you know he's going to answer that bell. You know he absolutely is going to answer that bell. And Nazem Kadri, last week, Thursday, so six days ago, a week from when you guys listened to this Thursday, had that phenomenal performance against mm -hmm. the Sharks. Remember that 3 nothing shutout? Yep. That was all Kadri all the time. 
he needs more of those performances. We know he has it in him. He's not over the hill. He's not washed up. Uh, it's just a matter of getting a consistent game out of him, uh, which which I think will come. Right. I mean, we remember the Nazem Kadri we saw at the beginning of the playoffs, right? We got to see that guy again because they need him now more than ever just to uh, keep carrying the weight. But, he, you know, those are the guys, Miko Ranton, Nazem Kadri, Brandon Saad. Those are the names that you can drop that make you say, oh, all right, there are some pretty serious injuries here, but there are still numbers in the in the lineup that can easily carry the weight. Yeah, and I don't even think you mentioned Burakovsky there. Burakovsky. And, and, and Don's, as long as he Don's stays Scoy, healthy, yeah. who knows? And Donskoy's got five goals. I, I can't yeah. get over that. I can't stress that enough. Donskoy has five goals in, in 11 games. He scored them in the first 10. What I love about Donskoy is he's just finishing, right? He's He's got that finishing touch. He's had, but his, his line mates are the ones doing the work, finding him, and he's putting it home. And, you know, that's a tough thing to do. So props to him for being able to finish because, like I said, the other guys are doing the hard work, but he's getting the glory because he's doing the toughest part, and that's get beating the goalie. Yeah, it's his, for for him, it's one of those things where it's like, is Donskoy playing? I don't really notice him much. You hear the goal horn, you look up at the screen. Oh, it's him going, <laughs> you know, through the line first and 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 bumping fist because he was the goal scorer. All right, well, we're getting up towards the hour mark. I guess it's time to hit the Mile High Sports three stars of the week and wrap this baby up and see what news comes next because I hope to see the St. Louis series, but I'm not optimistic about it. So. Mile High Sports, three stars of the week. And, you know, I changed this mid-podcast, so I'm going to give it to both of them. First, we're going to give it to the Toronto Maple Leafs for those beautiful reverse retro jerseys. I loved them. I don't know. I saw people online ripping them, like Jackie Redmond from NHL Network. Um, Some Canadian uh, pundits were ripping those jerseys, but I don't don't know what they were ripping. I loved them. I'm going to tell you why they were being ripped. The silver and the blue... And the blue numbers on the blue jersey with like two different shades with that silver outline. Uh, as somebody who grew up in Ontario and, you know, my earliest memory of a car is the car my dad drove with an Ontario license plate on it. In the early 2000s, I want to say, or maybe it was like the mid 2000s, early 2010s. I can't remember what year exactly, but Ontario shifted their license plate and their license plate used to just be white with blue numbers. They shifted their license plate to something that looked like that reverse retro jersey. And when you're driving, you're parked at a red light and you cannot read the numbers of the license plate in front of you because it was two different shades of blue and there was some silver involved and it was kind of all jumbled together. And people are looking at this Toronto Maple Leafs jersey and if you're the media sitting up in the press box going, is that Matthews or Marner? I can't tell if that's a 34 or or uh I forget what number Marner wears, uh, 16. You can't really read the numbers, and, and everybody in Canada is having PTSD of those license plates. And the funny thing is about this theory that I have is I thought that when I first saw it. I'm like, this reminds me of those plates. And I shared it with my family, and they all laughed about it too. And they're not even hockey fans. They just remember the license plate. And then I listened to a couple of Sportsnet radio shows, and two of them mentioned it. And I'm like, this is why everybody's shitting on these jerseys. Because I'm with you. They're beautiful jerseys. Yeah. There's I, there's I, your Canadian story for the day. No, that's a that's a good – I like that. Um, I like that little tidbit. But I, I didn't have a problem seeing the jerseys. So I don't know what they were actually complaining I've, about. I've been a fan of a ton of these reverse retros. I mean, Minnesota's looked nice. The Kings finally played theirs yesterday. Philly's wearing one today. And we're still waiting on the Quebec Nordiques jersey in 17 days at Lake Tahoe. And the other guy I was going to give the third star to, and I forget his name. I'm looking on Twitter to try to pull it up last second, but I failed. That's the guy that got all those sticks delivered to him from the Washington Capitals, right? Yes. And not only that, he went to social media and said, hey, I got your sticks. I wonder how many people would actually say that and how many people would just tuck them in their basement and say nothing. I mean, for starters, there's a Dano Chara stick. So well, if he got if he, he got 10 them. in the mail, yeah. Isn't I mean, that illegal? To open other people's mail? If some if something shows up at my door with my address on it, I'm opening it. <laughs> Especially if it says Washington Capitals on it, right? Yeah, hell yeah. Like you don't <laughs> know what that is. If it you know, if it says like IRS tax doc, yeah, I'm not gonna run into a federal crime. But no, I'm gonna open it. And I I, I truly in the heart of hearts believe I would have done what he did for two reasons. Uh, number one, I barely ever skate. What the hell am I gonna do with a bunch of Zidano Chargers? They don't even fit in my apartment. Yeah, <laughs> that's for starters. You got to saw that bad boy down. Nine <laughs> nine feet tall. I drive a truck. They don't fit in my trunk bed. 
uh, the second thing is the social media clout for something like that is so much more greater than, oh, I'm going to tuck a couple sticks. Or what are you going to do? Sell them on eBay? Sell them on Amazon? Sell them on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace? Well, you're going to get tracked back to you. You're going to get in trouble regardless. So have some fun with it. And I think he did that. And he's a good, good guy. And it was a fun story to read. Yeah, and you're right. He got some clout. He had the shared third star <laughs> on our podcast. So, you know, he's going to be happy about that. But I would have been so terrified of getting arrested for opening somebody's other somebody else's mail. I probably would have just not opened it and had a lot, much less exciting story. But that brings us to star number two, and this stays within the avalanche, and that's Kale McCarr, mainly just because of that one move he did last night. <laughs> Who, whose ankles did he break? That poor Ryan soul. Hartman. Ryan, Ryan Hartman, Hartman has no ankles, and, and if he wants to know how long it's going to take for them to heal, just ask your captain, Jared Spurgeon, because he's still healing from seven years ago. Loved Bucigras's comparison to Allen Iverson, just because we got the delight and the pleasure of watching Allen Iverson here in Denver for a little while, and that's what he did to people. Yeah, and we got the delight of watching him in Detroit because you guys hosed us and took Chauncey from us for that We took him back. Guy took him back hey he never played for you he's just from colorado he was drafted here yeah i know but he wasn't any good until he got to detroit he was he was part of our power five all right so was, Alan was he drafted here or was he drafted by who cares this is a hockey podcast star number one i'm giving it to miko rantanen mainly because of what he's about to do he's been great so far okay. But I think he's about like to carry that. some serious weight, and he's about to step up and say, no, I'm not just the B guy here. I am one of the top guys. Me and Nathan Malkin. McKinnon are bosses. I'm not the co-boss. So Miko Rantanen, light it up. Okay, I can dig that. Last week we gave it to him for scoring six goals in six games. This week we're going to give it to him because he's going to score another six goals in six games. So I'm fully on board with that. I think that's a great pick. Uh Again, this team is evolving, you know, before our very eyes. Miko Rantanen's only 24. Makar and Gerard are only 22. McKinnon's 25, if you can believe it. Like, these are young kids that we've put so much pressure on, and they were all 21, 22 when we were putting all this pressure on them. And now they've evolved into a better player. We're like, well, when did this happen? It's like, well, if you knew how development works, you would know. <laughs> but, like, we're just so used to these kids coming in at such a young age now. So, good point. You know, yeah, yeah. Very like good if Kadri goes out next year and puts up 95 points, yeah, be surprised. 31-year-old Nazem Kadri, who doesn't score 60 points in a season, is going to suddenly put up 95. Sure. But if McKinnon, Makar, Gerard take more steps, we got to remember that these kids started even ranting in when they were 19-20. So I'm fully on board for that. I think these players, I think it's it's a good thing that the Avalanche are being led by these kids. It's not their depth pieces. It's the kids that they've built around that new core. For the longest time, the core was Stastny and Duchesne and O'Reilly and, and Eric Johnson and Gabe Landeskog and Semyon Varlamov and Tyson Berry. Almost all those names are not even here anymore. This new core, this Rantanen, this McKinnon, obviously with Landeskog, with Makar, with Gerard. This is your new core, and these are the guys that are stepping up. Yep, and turning into leaders as well right before our eyes. It's a great thing to see. So with as much as I've been bashing them, I still have a lot of optimism, and I think this this team's capable of great things that's why i want to hold them to that so um you know don't get me wrong i'm not an avalanche hater here um i guess that's all we got on the docket here for today anything else you want to throw out before we wrap it up let's hope um i guess i guess we don't have to hope because the season will get finished one way or another but let's just wait and see what happens and what develops with the uh covid cases here within the avalanche dressing yeah room. you you don't want to run into a situation where you have three or four games all rescheduled at once because that really really compacts your schedule even more uh you know missing one game that's that's gonna suck to have that later on but it, it won't be as bad as if the Avalanche have to reschedule these Saturday-Sunday games and maybe the Tuesday game. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, I was kind of hoping it wouldn't, but COVID has struck that West Division. And, you know, it is what it is, but you just got to get through it like the rest of the league. There's a pretty cool number out there. Uh, and by pretty cool, I mean kind of crazy to think. But this is exactly what we've been talking about all offseason is that we are at a point now where the NHL through the first 207 games, which is going to bring you to February 9, that game against uh, that game for Minnesota that was just rescheduled. 22 of the first 207 games have been rescheduled, canceled because of COVID. So you're looking at 10.6%. That's just the way it is. 
This is what the NHL planned for. This is why they created a buffer in the calendar in May. They're, you know, they put an extra week, week and a half of buffer to basically say we need it. We need to use it. We just need to hope that they don't get to the point where even that buffer is not enough. Yeah, and that's it. I feel like if it keeps going the direction it's headed and if this continues the way it is, it, I, I don't know if it's going to be enough, but yeah. it's a, another wait-and-see kind of thing, I guess. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, look, as, as crazy and as asshole as it sounds to, to you know downplay the fact that a bunch of Minnesota Wild players have COVID, which you know they're humans before they are opposition hockey players first, and you know let's hope they're healthy. They don't run into a situation like Marco Rossi, who's one of I believe their draft picks, the 19 year old kid that had to go back mm-hmm. to Austria because he's dealing yep. with COVID, you know, COVID issues. And you know, for everybody that says if you're young and healthy, COVID's not going to hurt you, well, go to hell. This is a special case, a specific case of that. Um, you know, we hope they're healthy, and I don't want to downplay that, but the Avalanche needed this break, and it's not just because of McKinnon's injuries because they played 11 games in 20 nights to start the season. It kind of just flew by right right there and then in front of our eyes. So uh, I'm sure they're going to they're gonna enjoy this extra day off. Uh, let's hope it's only exactly an extra day off and they're back on the ice Saturday, but we'll see. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for good things from this team, and uh, I'm hoping to hear less of you complaining about them only scoring seven <laughs> goals once in 11 games. <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, yeah, I think that's well said and great place to stop. So, um, you know, thanks for hanging out with us and talking some avalanche hockey. Uh, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone. We'll be back. I guess we'll, depends on when the COVID thing happens. Maybe Monday if they play, we'll see. Maybe Monday, but everybody enjoy your Super Bowl weekend. Be safe, no drinking and driving and keep those parties small, right? You don't want to spread COVID like the NHL is. So that being said, we out you.